welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. I want to share with you how the gospel changes everything. The message is good news and beautiful feet. I've, uh, I've never uh, really thought about feet being beautiful, and I've had offers for pedicures, and I've resisted to this point, although uh, nothing against that, but just um, I'm not going to say any more. But the scripture says, how lovely on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. In Romans, the 10th chapter, Paul is writing to Jewish people and Gentile people. And the first two things that I want to share with you has to do with how the gospel and the word of faith changes everything in our lives. But then the last two things that Paul writes, and very characteristically, by the way, Paul writes and he puts the ball in our court. That's, that's how he writes. And there's a challenge to you and to me to be the beautiful feet that God uses. And so as we get into God's Word and unpack this, I want to begin reading in verses 8 through 11. And the first thing I want to share with you this morning is that God's Word is near to you. God's Word is near to us. In your program, you can take this out, and on the inside, on the right-hand side, there are notes that you can take. There's fill-in-the-blanks, and you can also write additional notes there if you want. I encourage you to do that. Paul wrote these words. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed or not ashamed or will not panic. The first thing is this, is that Paul said the Word, and he was talking about Jesus Christ, who has come near to you and to me so that we could have salvation and deliverance in Jesus' name. But he also called it the Word of Faith that he was preaching. And God's Word that's preached to us produces faith in our heart, and it's closer to us than we think. In fact, Paul said, the Word is in our heart, and it's in our mouth. It's not a hard thing, not a, and it's a, a simple thing, not complicated. God has a process for receiving from Him. And how the process works is that the word that is preached, the declaration, whether it is salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to die for our sins, 
to deliver us, to set us free, to, to satisfy the penalty of sin that was against us, and to bring us into the family of God. That's the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Or whether it's a word of faith that God speaks to your heart, there's a process that God has for us to receive from Him. The first is that we believe in our heart. Jesus said this, that when He, he said that the word of God is like the seed that the sower sows. So there's four reactions to it. He said, a sower went forth, and in that day, and he was sowing seed by hand, and some of the seed fell on the hard place, the bare places. And that reaction to the word of God, he said, and the devil through unbelief comes and snatches away the word of God, the living word of God. And so when we hear that, we can, we can through unbelief, which is the, the enemy of our soul's biggest weapon, his first line of defense is unbelief, we can say, no, we dismiss, we deny, we don't want anything to do with that. And he said, the enemy comes like a bird and he snatches it away. And what God has for you and what God has for me, that through unbelief will be taken away from us. But there's three other types of soil. Another one is the type of soil that immediately it springs up with great joy. In fact, the Scripture says with joy anon. In other words, it, what it means is that great joy. The Scripture talks about bursting forth into songs of joy in the Old Testament when they hear the good news. But we spring up and say, God's done something for me. But he said because it's rocky ground and because the soil's not good and rich and hasn't been worked, it quickly dies out under the fading heat of the sun, and that could be persecution in our lives or a number of other things. But then the third soil is that kind of soil that, that is planted on ground that is good ground. It's fertile ground, but it begins to grow up and it would bear fruit, but it's quickly choked out by the thorns and the weeds. And I, as many of you know, I like to garden, and one of the things that I found out is that it's necessary for me to weed the garden because the garden will take, the weeds will take over. Jesus said those thorns and thistles and weeds in our life are the cares of this world that we allow to compete for the fruitfulness of God's Word in our life and it competes for the nutrition, the water, uh, the, the sun, if you would. It shades it and it soon chokes out what God wants to do in our life. The fourth type of soil is that soil that finds, a, is that good soil. That soil is, is loamy. It's a lot of topsoil. It has the sun. It's, it has a good quality. It's called friable. Does anyone know what friable soil is? No, you don't fry that in your pan. In fact, don't try to <laughs> some people try to sterilize garden soil for some reason, and anyone have an idea what happens if you put that in a frying pan on, and you try to sterilize that? It smells really bad because there are millions of microorganisms in there, and you don't want to go that direction. But friable soil is that soil that is well-watered, and it's loose, and it's crumbly, and when the seed hits that soil and it's covered over, it's the best kind of soil that's there. And what God does, friends, is He gives us a word of faith, or we hear the gospel, as you're going to hear today, 
God has something for your life and God has something for my life. He loves us and out of his great love for us, he, he pours out his, his goodness and, and the plan that he has for us. And so we respond to it. I was, um, I was my first year at Penn State, I'd completed it. I was in a forest science program. It was something that I had dreamed about for several years, and forest science is, is the science of managing forests and, and also the developing of new species and, and the, the, uh, the ecosystem and all of that. It's not looking through binoculars and on a fire tower. That's, that's a forest ranger. This was uh, a little loftier than that, and that was, that was, my, that was my dream, and I remember my dad took me to see Manny Gordon, who used to be on TV. He was the regional forest uh, director for the state of Pennsylvania, and, and my dad took me there because he just wanted, whatever dream I had, he wanted to support me in it. And I was on the back seat of the church on a Sunday night, and it was, and the kids that were going into the ministry, uh, they were going to Bible college, and it was mostly Zion Bible College, which is now North Point Bible College, and God spoke to me, and he said, I want you in the ministry. I want you in the ministry. I want you to be a leader. I want you to be in pastoral ministry. And it was so strong, it was such a word of faith that I immediately said yes to God because I knew and I discerned it was the will of God. The reason I discerned the will of God because my parents had taught me and prayed for me ever since I'd been little. and They taught me the things of God and my sheep know my voice. That's what Jesus said. And I said yes to the Lord and then I went another year to Penn State. I, it wasn't a bargain with God. I just said to God, I want to go another year. I said, I asked the Lord. I believe that was a thing to do so that I could converse intelligently with professionals who would be, I believe, who God would call me to and God would use me in. And, and I felt a great sense of, from the Lord, that's the right thing to do. And so I did. I went two years in a science program at Penn State and then went to Southeastern University where I met my lovely wife, Chris. God has a wonderful plan for your life, is all I can say. But that word of faith required that I act upon that right away. Today, as you hear the word of faith that God has for your life, it's important that we believe it in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord in that situation. What he has for you, it might be healing. It might be that God is calling you to something. It might be a change of direction, a job, or it might be the selection of, of a spouse or that you're in a relationship and God wants you to break that thing off and he wants you to go to another direction. It's important that we say yes to the Lord and we act on that thing very, very, very quickly. But the Bible says this, that whoever believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ Paul wrote, will not be disappointed or will not be ashamed. That comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, where Jesus Christ is the precious cornerstone. Behold, God says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the building, firmly placed, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed, not panicked, not shaken. And I want to ask you this morning, or first of all, say this by the authority of God's Word. If you will say yes to God today, 
Jesus Christ will be the cornerstone of your life. He is true. He is precious. He is firmly in place. And you will never be disappointed because you have said yes to God's will for your life. Not only yes for now, but also yes The Scripture tells us in that day of judgment when all of us stand before God, the righteous judge of all the earth with whom we all have to do, all of us have to do, we will not be disappointed. But you will find that as we build our life upon that cornerstone who is straight and true and firm, that he becomes the direction and the foundation of our life. Can someone say praise God? What a a wonderful deal, by the way. What a wonderful deal, the gift of the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to share with you is this, however, along with this and what God has done is that God is generous to all who call on Him. Verses 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the And when they say Greek, understand they're not talking about the citizens of Greece exclusively. They're talking about Greek or Gentile. There's Jewish people and then there's the rest of us, Gentiles. I'm glad I'm in the all. How about you? For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. Last week, Pastor Bobby and the Ecuador team, as they were ministering, Pastor Bobby said this, that sometimes we get the idea that God doesn't want anything to do with us. But in fact, God, in your notes, wants everything to do with you. Everything. He cares. He cares. You're created in the image of God. Jesus said, if our Heavenly Father sees every sparrow that falls, how much more does He take note of your life and what concerns you? God is not someone to be avoided or to give lip service to. God is not a person that We come to church on Sunday morning and say, okay, I've passed that inspection now. Let me go on and live the way I want for the rest of the week. He's a God who is generous. The Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We serve a God who is a generous God, a loving God, who withholds no good thing from His children to those who call upon the name of the Lord. God's goal for us, unlike the goal of the enemy of our souls, who Jesus said this, 
he named a real individual, as real as there's a heavenly father, as real as there is a Holy Spirit, and as real as there Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He named a real person called the devil, Satan, the one who was out, Jesus said, to kill, steal, and destroy. Whatever plans you have, whatever hopes you have, whatever future you have that you want to do that would honor God, the express purpose of the enemy of our soul is to steal everything to destroy and to kill in your life, whether it's your marriage or your home or your inner peace or your confidence, your faith in God. He is out. He is out to attack it, and that's what he does. But the goal of God through Jesus Christ, the generous God, and this, if you're following the fill in the blank, this is the big one right here, is that we would be holy, healed, healthy, humble, and happy or joyous. Can someone say, thank you, Lord? That's what God has for you and for me. Holy, because God said, be holy, because I am holy. You said, Pastor Paul, if you knew what I did, it's impossible to be holy. Yeah, it is. But you know, when we come to Jesus Christ, His righteousness becomes ours. In fact, God's Word says we're covered over with the robe of righteousness. I I like that idea. When, When our girls were... When they were growing up, but we have four daughters, and we used to have Thursday nights was sort of family night. And so I bought this huge piece of, it was a huge, it wasn't a blanket, but it was a huge piece of cloth, like a blanket. And it was several feet long, must have been 10 or 12 feet long, and they could all bundle underneath the same blanket. We could all get under there when we're watching the movie together on a Thursday night. And, and it was just that that protection, sort of, that, of what God has. And, and His righteousness becomes ours, and He places us in His family. He wants us healed because He said in 1 Peter 2.24 that by my stripes you're healed. His, by His stripes He died so that you and I could be whole, body, soul, and spirit. He wants us to be provided for, to be humble, to be healthy, to be happy. John 15.11 says... That, that your joy would be made full. And how many could use a good dose of joy in the world that we live? Yes. But God's Word says this, Paul went on to say, and he throws the ball back into our court. And he says this in verses 14 and 15, However, in spite of all this, how can people hear How can they believe if they have not heard? And what he says, church, to you and to me, this is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, but he's appointed us and we're it. We're the agents. We're the agents to take the good news. In verse 14, he wrote these words, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And I want to say, you don't have to be a preacher to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, there aren't enough preachers preaching enough to ever get the word out. And how will they preach or how will they proclaim unless they are sent? How can they believe if they've not heard? 
Jesus is the living word. But we are the book that people read. Our church is a book that people read. One of the goals we have here at Grace is uh, (laughs) we want to have a church that kids drag their parents to church on Sunday morning and their parents have to drag the kids away on Sunday when it's all said and done. I, I like that church. How about you? On Wednesday night, the kids will drag their parents to church and then parents have to drag them out of the gaga pit on Wednesday night. I like that kind of church. By the way, even with 25 away last week at Fine Arts in California, we had, we had 180-some people that were here on Wednesday nights and the rooms were just bursting with activity. Can someone say praise God? Yeah, praise God. The children, the youth, the adults that are involved in service, we thank the Lord for that. Praise His name. But we are the book that people read. I want to ask you this morning, if people are reading your book, what's the title of your book? What is it? Is it career? Is it mortgage? Is it big boys' toys? There's nothing wrong with careers and mortgages, and I hope there's nothing wrong with big boys' toys because I have a boat and I enjoy crabbing. So, Lord, I, I think that's okay. How about you? But it's when, when the title of the book says it's really about him or her and what they want. Or if the title is of the book says, open this book and you'll learn about Jesus, God uses that type of book. Paul said that we all are living epistles known and read by all men. Some of us like to read, uh, some don't. Um, we grew up in the state of Maine until I was about 9 or 10 years old. Uh, we didn't even have a television. We grew up in a world of, you know, we did have indoor plumbing, but my grandparents didn't. Lots of people in the church didn't. They had kerosene lamps and farmed with horses, and my cousins didn't have indoor plumbing, and it was outhouses and all that yucky stuff. And how many know it gets cold in Maine? You don't want to set your tush down on a frost-button piece of wood. But anyway, that's just how life was. And they'd have magazines there or Sears and Roebuck catalog. That's how you'd entertain yourself when you're in the privy, the privy, so to speak. So, but we learned to read. And the highlight of my life in second and third grade was when the bookmobile came by twice, twice a, a, a month, every other week to, to Exeter Elementary School. There was no TV. The winters were long and cold and dark and hard and... And I do recall there were times when it got 40 below, and I'm not talking about wind chill factor, I'm talking about real temperature. And so I learned to read. So I love reading. I consume a lot even to this day. But what I do know, whether you are a reader or not, or your neighbor is a reader or not, I know this, everyone reads and they reads They read lives, and when we name the name of Jesus Christ, we become an open book, and people thumb through the pages of our life to see what we're all about. And why Paul puts this back on the church, he said, but how will they hear, 
How will they believe if they've not heard? Is this, is because unless we go, unless we send, unless we speak, the vital connection is not made. Today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. And it's easy in church to become complacent when when the church is full and God's blessings are here and we have friends. And, and uh, by the way, I, I enjoy being invited to parties. And we've been at celebration parties and graduation parties and 50th wedding anniversary parties, all and birthday parties. And invite us to a party. I like, I like going to a party and it's really cool. The food is good and it's just good friends and fellowship and I'm just enjoying that, but I look around and I just, that's, it's so good. That means there's life going on, but we can't become complacent about the mission that God has given to us because today's complacency becomes tomorrow's captivity. And if we settle for just community and not being the bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ, the church becomes captives of our own goodness but has no real message for this world around us. We can become complacent in our own spirituality, in our friends, because we've been included. We're in that circle that got the invitation. We're included. But when we become complacent because God has blessed us, complacency leads to a dullness of our spiritual senses and a dullness of the abundant life that God has for you and for me and for taking risk and steps of faith and daring big things for God and dreaming big things for God and we become sort of tone deaf to the word of faith that's preached and we receive even that living word of God that's in our heart and in our mouth and we just sort of we become captive to our own complacency. It's one of the reasons that I believe that we need to expand at Grace Assembly of God. In a few weeks, we'll have a business meeting and we'll ask you to affirm that we cannot be complacent about where we are because we'll be captive by the size of the container. God's pushing us forward. Take a step of faith. Dare. Risk. Do something. And he's saying, you did it with a hundred people and you built something that could seat 500 with a hundred people. Surely with several hundreds of people, you can do something that's not quite as large a project. And I say, Lord, you help us and we're going to move forward in the strong name of Jesus. Praise his name. The other day, I was, uh, my wife and I were, were walking and we, we, we bumped into our good friend in the neighborhood who's my age. He's a fellow grandpa. No, he's not a grandpa. Um, but we share some things and I've talked with him about the Lord and I've invited him to church and we've had some real heart-to-hearts and I've I talk, called him by name and just said, man, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that. And he he started to talk with us about some issues that he's facing with 
uh, elderly parent, and we're all headed there. That's all there is to it. If, if anyone thinks that the golden years are the golden years, um, and I'm looking ahead, and I said, I'm not so sure they're golden after all, some of the issues you're dealing with. But he was just sharing with, this is a man's man. And I, you feel so helpless. We walked away, and... and um, I, I, the Lord was just speaking with me later on. It was that day or the next day. And, and what came to me, what came to me was, Paul, when your neighbor talks to you and bears his heart, when he looks into your life and into your soul, will he see something that will lead him towards Jesus Christ? It scared me. It scared. I love preaching on Sunday morning. I love leading. I love seeing leaders developed and people discipled and all of that. But it also has to translate in my home and it has to translate in my neighborhood where I'm real. And when people look into my eyes, there's something that's real, that is true and firm like Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And the message that I portray is the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And someone can depend on that to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. What do people see in your life and my life that will lead them to Jesus? The fourth thing I want to share with you this morning is good news and beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Paul wrote this. He finished up in verse 15. He said, Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. That's, uh, that's a quote from Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those or him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation And says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. This is the age that we live in. The need for people with beautiful feet is greater than it's ever been. Uh, My heart is broken and grieved over Charlottesville, Virginia. We have a church planter. John Bertram, who is there planting a church to establish a fresh presence of God there. We have Chi Alpha that is on the university at at, uh, UVA. But the tragedy of that, the hatred of different sides, is just grievous. But it's... uh, sort of reflective of of things in our nation. There's a lot of blame being thrown around and all of that. I remember a few years ago, I believe it was UVA, when they had the student who shot all the people. Do you remember that? It was the Chi Alpha House, this ministry of Assemblies of God to College, that opened their house on, on on the campus to minister to the kids who had witnessed and been impacted by that. Beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Good news. 
in the middle of terrible news, good news. That's what we're called to be. I read this uh, past week, a story that really touched me. Uh, It was about a 93-year-old soldier from World War II. And I love these kind of stories. He was over in the South Pacific. uh, I think they were island hopping, and it was so, so cruel. Uh, My family lost a cousin in Guadalcanal, gave his life. Uh, I believe it was a Marine, but he lost his life. uh, But this 93-year-old soldier was an American soldier, and they were surrounded by a firefight. They were engaged with the Japanese, and and they're, and all of a sudden he got separated from his his friends, his his uh, his fellow warriors, and the battle moved on, and he was separated. He didn't where it was, and and it grew silent around him. He looked around, and there was a a, a dead Japanese soldier that had just died. Japanese soldier. And uh, he saw something sticking out of his pocket, and he went over and he pulled it out, and it was a silk flag. Had a, they showed a picture, I believe it was the rising sun that was on it. But they'd carry this into battle, the young men would, because they felt they were invincible. And he'd been, he'd been shot down by, by American fire. And it had all these characters written around it. They were hand-painted on or written around it. And uh, so he carried it with him uh, through all the battles, and he came home and as a souvenir. And, and just a few years ago, now the man's 93 years old, he started wondering, that was someone's son. Wonder who that was. And uh, somehow he found an organization that tries to connect the families of, of Japanese soldiers that had that died in battle to give them some closure in their life. And they came and he presented the flag to them. (laughs) And what it was was 140 to 150 people from his family and his village that said things like, good luck, Uh, see you when you come home, all of these things. And he carried it in battle and he was gunned down. So they got in touch, and they found out it was from this mountain village in Japan. These are just people like you and me. People like you and me. And they found out that his mother and father, of course, had died, but two of his siblings remained, and friends and family. And what they said was this. They wanted to know, Did you see him? How did he die? They said, all these years we wondered what happened to him. And the guy is flying to Japan with this flag and he's giving it to the family to bring closure. It's the best news that they could get in spite of everything. Now, church, God calls you and me to be the beautiful feet, not to bring closure to a life, but to announce good news of Jesus Christ. Good news of Jesus Christ. That our God reigns. He reigns in this situation. He's the cornerstone. 
You can build your life on Him. He's true. He's strong. He's eternal. He is the sovereign Lord compared with everything else. It's just sand that we build our life upon. And you and I get to have those beautiful feet. We get to have people thank us because we love them. We pronounce the good news of Jesus Christ. And grace is filled with people like that. We have people here that just came to the Lord in the last few months. God's doing a real work in their life. And the call to you and to me is not let today's complacency become tomorrow's captivity, but to say, Lord, we'll climb that mountain. We'll go where you want me to go, Lord. We'll say yes to you. Lord, just use me to announce the good news of Jesus Christ in this world. Praise His name. Amen. Oh, I say, God, help me. How about you? Lord, if I'm noted for something, let me be noted for that. The title of my book, I've often said, I've mentioned to my wife, it's found in Romans, I think it's 16. It says, and greet a palace, three words, approved in Christ. That's what I want the title of my book to be, approved in Christ. I want the title that people look and read and say, yeah, yeah, I want to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ball is in our court. What a wonderful privilege that you and I have to be part of what God is doing for this world. Praise His name. Praise God. God is so good.